Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, everyone, I'm glad you're here for part six of our sermon series simply called The Ten Commandments. Now, remember, if you've been watching with us, we've been approaching the Ten Commandments from the vantage point that the Ten Commandments are actually a love letter from God to us. Now, of course, there's some folks that look at the Ten Commandments as being, well, dogmatic and unreasonable and overreaching and oppressive. Um, but let me share with you, does that really make sense? We have a Heavenly Father who we know the Word of God says that He is a God of love. And if He's a God of love, then to be oppressive and dogmatic would be against His nature. Let's go to Genesis chapter, well, let's just go to the beginning of Genesis. And we find that Adam and Eve are there in all of God's creation. And what does God do every single day with Adam and Eve? He takes them and walks with them through the cool of the day in the garden. Now, think about it. Here's the God of the universe, and he pauses and he stops every day to go be with Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? Does that sound like a heavenly father who's just a dictator and oppressive? Of course not. It sounds like one who wants to build relationship. One who cares about making family ties and to be with his family. So maybe we should actually look at Exodus chapter 20 and God's top 10 as a love letter of a love letter from our heavenly father. Well, let's open up with some prayer. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, that truly a love letter is about you revealing your heart and how you think and feel and care and love father, your people, your children, Lord, give us uh, ears to hear your, what you want us to hear today. Give us a heart that would be in synergy, in rhythm with yours. Eyes to see what you want us to see. A nose to smell the rose of Sharon. Hands that would touch the way you would want us to touch the way Jesus did. And Father, a nose to smell the rose of Sharon. God, come. Your will, your way today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, the sixth commandment is actually found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's only four words, and it says, You must not murder. You know, a, a Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her six- and seven-year-old students. And she went to the fifth commandment and says, To honor your father and mother. Then mother, and she said, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brother and sister? And quickly, little Johnny raised his hand and said, Thou shalt not murder. Well, I think we need to ask a little different question when we look at the sixth commandment. What's it all about? What's it mean? Simply stated, the sixth of the Ten Commandments forbids the unjustified or the taking of innocent life. Now, the sixth commandment itself has a couple of interesting, well, elements that bears mentioning. First and foremost, 
different Bible translations give the appearance of having different meanings. But when we stop to look at the original language that it was written in, which was Hebrew, not English, we begin to find out that it uses the word murder. That's important. You'll see in just a minute. You've heard that phrase lost in translation, and that's really the issue that we have going on here with this little verse of four words, you must not murder. It's important to understand that there's a difference between the word murder and the word killing. They are not the same. They do not have the same meaning. There are different Hebrew words for the word murder and killing. One is rascha, uh, my Hebrew's not very good, and M-U-T, mut. One means to put to death. That would be the word killing. The other means to take innocent life or to take innocent blood on purpose with intent. That's murder. To murder or to take innocent life on purpose is the meaning of the sixth commandment. Killing and murder are not to be considered the same. They're not synonyms. Well, the Hebrew words for killing in a time of war and self-defense or accidental killing, that is the word that we use in the Hebrew M-U-T. But it's not a violation of the Sixth Commandment. It's one of the reasons that they created a place called Hebron where you could go, if you accidentally murdered, excuse me, killed somebody, you could go to Hebron there for, to be a place of refuge. If you murder somebody, well, then you would have to face judgment. But a large issue comes out because depending on which Bible translation you, as a student, choose to read, especially the old King James in this particular, it actually says, thou shall not kill. I don't believe it was intentional by any means, but it has opened up the door to a lot of confusion for a lot of folks. But we have to understand something. The correct Hebrew word would be the word murder, not killing. Now, this is very significant, and let me explain why. If it said killing, then all the times that God said, I want you to go to war, Israel, and go against the Amalekites or whoever, or the Philistines, whoever it might be, then he would be violating his own Ten Commandments, specifically number six. So if God can't be confused and break his own commandments, then obviously the correct word would be murder and not killing, which is considered in acts of war, or in self-defense, or an accidental death. So, again, murder and killing are not the same word. So how about some good news? <laughs> you hear about all this dying and killing and stuff. I just want us to be reminded that when Jesus comes again, there will be no more war. There will be no more murder, no more killing. There will be peace. There will be true love and joy. But maybe someone who's watching is thinking, 
hey, Pastor, I, I actually have taken another person's life. What now? I want you to know that God's grace and His mercy are for whosoever. Remember, God forgave some guy named King David when he took the life of one of his own soldiers because he was actually having an affair with Bathsheba, that soldier's wife. He was committing adultery, and then he committed murder. But because he truly did repent, God forgave him. And God will forgive you. And here's the verse that proves it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we, that's me, that's you, that's anybody, if we confess our sins to Him, Jesus, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Well, maybe you're here and you're watching this right now and you're saying, Pastor, great sermon, looking good, way to go. But this has absolutely nothing to do with me. I've never taken anybody's life. Matter of fact, I have a hard time even taking the life of a pesky fly or stepping on an ant. Well, before you uh, assume too much and you're led astray here, Let's consider how Jesus looks at the Sixth Commandment here in Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, verse 21-22. Have you heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder? He's referring to Exodus 20. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot... You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. See, clearly Jesus looks at this commandment so much more deeper than our culture does. It's here that Jesus makes the sixth commandment an issue of the heart. An issue that we cannot hide from God. An issue that we cannot hide even from ourselves. You know, folks, there's a deadly virus that's running rampant through our nation. And I'm not talking about COVID-19. It is the virus of unresolved heart issues, of uncontrolled anger and hatred. All of these kinds of things, they lead to murder. And unfortunately, we have actually are seeing it on our screens. Our society, it's so full of rage right now. Have you ever noticed how out of control so many people are? You know, unfortunately for so many of us, it takes a long journey to get to the point where we understand how to count all those offenses and those injustices and the mistreatments that have been done to us as garbage that we might obtain Christ. Maybe our Heavenly Father who wrote this love letter and Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 understood something that maybe we didn't understand and how this is so relevant and real for us today. 
It's in that passage that we just read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21-22, that Jesus refers to that word, idiot. Wow! That word is also translated fool, or sometimes translated raka. Now, it means worthless, good for nothing. It means empty-headed. When we begin to call people empty-headed, worthless, good for nothing, we're actually writing them off. When we speak or we write about people in an abusive, disparaging manner, what we're really saying is that they do not have any value. And if or when we say that they have no value, then what we're really saying is, This person does not have the right to or deserve to be alive. Wow. We're saying, I don't want anything to do with them. And as far as I'm concerned, they are dead to me. So according to Jesus, murdering someone in our heart is the same as murdering someone openly. Now, I get it. Believe me, I get it. I have those experiences, probably like you, where there was injustice, where there were backstabbing and all sorts of mistreatments. And all of a sudden, you really want to justify your unresolved heart issue your uncontrollable anger because you were treated wrong. But the truth is, when we speak out of an unresolved anger and when we speak out of an uncontrolled anger, folks, foolishness is taking over me, taking over you. And we are also open to the judgment of God. And yet, somehow, we find a way to try to convince ourselves and try to convince others that we have a right. And yet Jesus is saying, oh, child of God, don't go there. Well, it's important to note that I am not saying that you and I are not allowed to get angry. We know that Jesus got angry. We know Paul was angry. We know God the Father was angry. The issue is not that you have anger. The issue is, what are you doing with that anger? And more importantly, is that anger controlling you? Jesus overturned the money changers' tables in the house of God because they were making the sanctuary, a den of thieves. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, it's here that we learn that another form of murder is rooted deep into a person's unresolved anger. Did you know that Jesus considers it murder when we use our words to hurt and to destroy another person? Folks, when we gossip, 
when we attempt to make others feel so small about themselves, we are literally attempting to assassinate not just their self-worth, but their soul as well. The posture of our hearts towards others is what Jesus is actually looking at. There's a story of an elementary school teacher that happened many, many years ago. Uh, The teacher's name was Mrs. Thompson. And as she stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school, she told all the children a lie. She looked at all of her students and said that she loved them all the same. But that wasn't true. Because there in the front row, slumped in the chair, was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. From a distance, Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before, and she noticed that he didn't play well with others, that his clothes were all messy and dirty. And Teddy, well, he was just unpleasant. Well, unbeknownst to anyone, Mrs. Thompson, in her heart, had become very dark and ugly towards Teddy. She actually would get excited about getting her red pen so she could mark up his paper and up at the top write a big fat F. Well, it was common for her to stop and review all of the students' files, and so she did that. But for whatever reason, she got Teddy's file and she put it to the side and she started reading everybody else's. And then she took undivided attention to read Teddy's. And this is what it said. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this about Teddy. Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners. He is a joy to be around. Second grade teacher. Teddy is an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. Third grade teacher. His mother's death has been hard on him. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest. And Teddy's life will soon affect him if... Steps aren't taken. Fourth grade teacher. Teddy is withdrawn. Doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have any friends. And sometimes sleeps in class. Well, obviously, Mrs. Thompson realized the problem. And she was just deeply ashamed of herself. That Christmas... They had their little Christmas party in class, all the little fifth graders. And Teddy brought in a little brown paper bag that had been reused a few times. And he handed it as a present, as a Christmas present to Mrs. Thompson. As she pulled out of it, there was an old bracelet missing some rhinestones. And a little thing of half-used, almost-gone perfume the kids began to laugh and tease what a horrible christmas 
present. But Mrs. Thompson realized something had changed. She realized what they were. She took the bracelet and she put it on and just oohed and awed over that beautiful bracelet. She took the perfume and she squirted it. She put it all over and just said, Oh, smell how beautiful this is. Teddy stayed till after school that day and he said, Mrs. Thompson, today you smell just like my mom used to. That was her perfume. After all of the children left, she cried for Teddy. And she became a new teacher with a new heart. As Mrs. Thompson worked with Teddy, his mind just seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. And by the end of the year, Teddy was one of the best students in her class. Eventually, Teddy graduated high school, and he set a note to express that effect. Then he went to college, and he graduated, and sent Mrs. Thompson another note that he graduated college. Then Teddy sent a note that he got accepted into medical school. Then he sent another note that he had graduated top of his class, and that he was now Dr. Teddy. And then shortly after, he sent another one. And it said, Mrs. Thompson graduated top of my class. And now I'm so excited that I'm getting married. And I'm asking if you don't mind sitting where my groom's mother would sit. You're the closest mom I've had my whole life. Well, at the wedding, Dr. Teddy started whispered in Mrs. Thompson's ear. And he said, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for so much for making me feel important and show me that I can make a difference. Mrs. Thompson whispered back, Teddy, you were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. I didn't know how to be a teacher until I met you. How many people have you ignored? How many people have you considered to be an idiot or a fool? How many teddies have we considered worthless? That they didn't measure up. You know, there's always a story behind the story. We know how the Lord feels about mistreating other people or by ignoring them and treating them as though if they're worthless. But what does the Lord say? When we plan to get revenge, to destroy somebody else who on purpose has already attacked us and we're just getting even, so to speak. What does the Lord say? When we yell and scream and we slam the door and we punch the walls. Do you know that God's not okay with that? Paul 
Paul reminds us that we're not to take revenge. Even when we have been unjustly treated. Because God says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, He says, dear friends, never take revenge. Now that's not easy, folks. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. It's with this kind of unresolved anger and uncontrolled anger that can bring about destruction to a marriage and to a family, to civil unrest in a nation. Folks, though our society right now is filled with bitterness and anger and hatred, the Christian is still responsible to demonstrate Christ-like love. Here's the thing. We can only accomplish that through the Holy Spirit. I can't do that in my flesh and neither can you. The Scripture gives us some examples. Let's look at a few of them. Proverbs 14, verse 29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Here's a, here's a little way to understand things. Listen. Right now, people don't want to listen to each other. Be quick to listen. Wow. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. Isn't that interesting? God gave us two ears, one mouth. Marvin, listen twice as much as you speak, and you will be slow to get angry. Ephesians 4, 26-27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Folks, I want to just concentrate on that bottom part. Anger gives a foothold to the enemy of your soul, to the devil. We have to be under control. How do we insulate ourselves against breaking this commandment? The answer is simple. But the application of that simplicity, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Paul writes, the Holy Spirit can help us through the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to meditate on them whenever we face anger. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and, and other sins like these. Wow. Do you see the heart issue? If my heart's not in the right place, all those things will be in my life. 21. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now here comes the best part. But the Holy Spirit produces 
this kind of fruit in our lives. Well, what is that? What what does the Holy Spirit produce in our lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen to the very final part. There is no law against these. You notice all these other ones that were at the top, that were from the flesh? We actually write laws to prevent that kind of behavior. But when we follow the fruits of the Spirit, there are no laws against you can't love that much. That's just too much loving. Um, we're going to write a law against that. You are just way too joyful. we we got to make a law. We don't do that. Can you imagine? We're going to put a law against patience. We're going to put a law against kindness. No, there's no laws. You can give as much gentleness and kindness to the world as you like. There's no laws against the fruit of the Spirit. Well, folks, we, we've all been offended. We've all been hurt and wounded, probably have faced injustice. But that does not give you or me the justification to break the sixth commandment. According to the way that Jesus sees it in Matthew chapter 5, I pray that we can all embrace the fruits of the Spirit and find a spirit of love in our hearts because love conquers all. We need that in our nation right now. We need that in our homes right now. So once again, murder is more than just an act of the flesh. It's the posture of my heart. God's not just interested in whether or not you take a life. He's concerned with whether you would murder if you thought you could get away with it. To Jesus, that is just as much murder if you were to actually take a life. God is concerned about your real heart. A heart that nobody else can see but you and Him. God wants you to be right on the inside. Who do you need to forgive? Who makes you angry right now? Where there's so much anger that you're violating the sixth commandment. Father God, we come and we pray. Lord, if we are so offended and so wounded, so hurt that we have this unresolved anger, this unresolved, uncontrollable rage. We're unforgiving. Help us today to let it go so that our heart would be right with You. God, You will deal. You said, vengeance is Mine. And God, You will deal with each and every one who is mistreating others, including ourselves. But Father, we need to be willing to be right with You. If you're watching this right now, and you know there's some unresolved anger, offense, would you ask Jesus to come in? And would you let go? 
would you be willing to forgive? Father, I, I promise I'm not going to throw this back in that other person's face. I, I promise I'm not going to tell all these other people about it. I'm going to stop talking about it. And I'm the hardest one, as I promise, I'm not going to meditate on this privately all alone. I truly let go. I truly forgive. And watch God bring all the fruits of the Holy Spirit and there's no limit to them. Father, I pray blessing on your people. Help us to follow the Ten Commandments as a true love letter from God to us so we could be free. Father, because you set the captive free and who the Son sets free is free indeed. Lord, your will, your way, bless your people in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless, church. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.